0: Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who met his wife while training for the 400 meters in Seattle, and is eating gluten-free while lusting after bread, Dave Denniston. I'd like to take a quick moment to thank our sponsor, Locum Story. Are you curious about locum tenums and how it might fit into your career at locumstory.com? You can hear firsthand stories about the different reasons physicians choose locums and how it works for them. Visit locumstory.com to learn more. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Freedom Formula 4 Physicians podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping doctors like you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. My next guest, he is a great friend of mine. Actually, we've gone to Sedona, Arizona together. We've been to conferences together. He's been, uh, he's going with me to Puerto Rico here in the near future, which I'm really looking forward to. This man is is probably the smartest person I know. He he's not only smart though, but he applies it which plenty of people don't apply it when it comes to creating wealth and and doing interesting things for themselves. So his background is in software. He's not a physician, but I think you can learn from his journey in terms of what, what he's done and what he's doing. He's another land investor like myself. He's gotten involved in, in other pieces of real estate. So I hope today just really gives you some good thoughts and ideas and, and learning from someone else's journey. Please help me welcome JT Olmsted to the podcast. Welcome, JT.
1: Thanks. I appreciate it. And I appreciate the kind words.
0: Yes. No, you're, you're just an amazing guy. And uh, everyone that listens to this uh, can learn something from you. I think just in terms of what you're doing and how you go about it and whatnot. And so, just give us a uh, a quick picture for those that don't know you and haven't heard of you before. What's what's your background? How were you raised? You know, tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So um, I am uh, the oldest of seven kids and I'm kind of a native to Arizona so that's just to give you like a quick background on that side and I still live in Arizona with my wife and I've got four kids and I originally came out of college moving into technology that was just kind of what really caught my attention and I spent several years in that field um, as a network engineer uh, but I always had a, a kind of a itch for real estate you know I'm always looking for opportunities to invest to kind of plan out my next move I'm kind of a a planner in that way, and um, that ultimately led me down the road to finding land. You know, I consumed many podcasts, you know, quality stuff like yourself, and trying to find like what's what's some good material out there to figure out where I should be spending my time. And came across someone who who did land, and then kind of eased my way into that space. And it has really allowed me to take that background of technology and really focus it in on land in a way that's kind of created a competitive edge for me and then opened up additional opportunities beyond just like pure land flipping.
0: So why land? Why why did you choose that, that space in particular? Uh,
1: I like to say that I was tricked into starting a business because <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought I was going to get to some kind of like pseudo passive, like, oh, great, I'm going to buy these assets that 30, 40, 50 cents on the dollar. And then they're going to sell themselves and it's going to be great. It'll just be me and I'll do it on the side and I'll just do whatever I want. And uh, turns out land flipping is a little more involved than that. <laughs> it's uh, not passive. I know, I know. I don't know what I was thinking, but uh, I, I also found through that journey, I found a passion for business. And I was like, man, I actually really enjoy the challenges that come with building a business and uh, kind of the opportunities that are, are created through that challenge. And uh, so once I realized that's what I wanted, I kind of let other things in my life fade away, business wise, and just really honed in uh, and kind of leaned into the the land flipping front. Because it is such an amazing opportunity to like work on a spectrum, because you can do it solo, and uh, make good money. And I know I have friends of mine doing one flip a year, you know, kind of on the side. And I also have people doing millions of dollars a year, you know, running big, bigger teams, right? So it's like this huge spectrum you can work on. And that's what, one of the things I love about it is that it's kind of low risk, all cash, got a, a kind of a continuum of how much effort you want to put in. And it doesn't have to be, it's not necessarily linear either. So you can kind of decide like, all right, this year is a lot of effort and next year is not a lot of effort and pick it up and, and drop it off. And, and I love the ability to be flexible in that way.
0: Totally. No, there's, there's a lot of benefits to it. But you were looking at other stuff, it sounds like, right? So before land, you were exploring several things. What, what were they? What were you taking a look at?
1: Yeah. So I, um, I mean, I, I kind of sat down and thought like, do I want to do rentals, like single family homes? Do I want to do small multifamily? Do I want to do like syndications into larger multifamily? Do I want to do office, like, like, commercial space and whether it's like, you know, land industrial or small office or whatever. And I did dabble in kind of some of many of those arenas. Dabbled a little bit in small multi, in single family and small multi. It's, I spent some time in small mobile home parks and I even bought a small office building. Like I just tried a lot of different stuff, seeing what really fit my like personality as well as what fit my objectives, right? Trying to decide which of these opportunities was really going to be the one that was the perfect confluence between what I was really good at and what I really wanted. And it took time. It took time to to try different things and and experiment in different ways. But ultimately God kind of wandering through those paths
0: and led me to back to land. So tell, tell us about some of the stuff you tried, like the small office building. Well, what, what happened, you know, did, did you like just hate it, you know, dealt with like tenants and how to fix stuff up or like, did you, it was like, it was okay, you know, not really my shtick, you know, what, what happened with that specifically?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That is um, kind of a cautionary tale for the small office building. Turns out uh, that ended up being my very first investment in real estate, which I would not recommend. Um, <laughs> as a starter, starter option. But for me, I went in and it was kind of a two, it's a small office on the west side of the Phoenix region. And um, there's kind of a two sections to it. One was occupied by a dentist, had been for a long time, and the other was um, vacant. And so the plan was to fix up the vacant one and lease it out and then kind of go from there. Uh, and there, the, you know, the lease seemed to be reasonably constructed and, and it looked like a decent opportunity, but I obviously didn't know what I didn't know. And so there's a lot of learning that occurred over the couple of years that that played out, where I figured a lot, I learned a lot more about, you know, what it takes to lease up a building, how long it takes, what how what are TIs and how much do they cost, you know? And I knew a, a little bit about this going in, but clearly not enough. And uh, by the end of it all, I had realized like, okay, so this can be with really stable tenants, a lucrative play. And I would consider exploring again, you know, that avenue down the road. But unless I was willing to really lean into it and do a lot of it, it wasn't going to make a lot of sense as a one-off investment. Um, and so I ended up losing a fair amount of money on that deal when I exited. Part of that was uh, how how I got into it, how I handled it for the time that I had it. And then the exit was summer 2020. So the timing wasn't great on that. So, but at the end of the day, we kind of like went through the whole cycle, learned a lot. Uh, but even though that investment didn't play out very well for me, it gave me the identity of a real estate investor. Because once I had bought the building, I was a real estate investor. That was it. So after that, I was simply working on that project and starting to look for more real estate investments. And it was during that period when I was working through that, that I found land. And since I was already a real estate investor, of course, it made sense to get involved in land. Um, I don't know that it would have been so clean of a transition had I not taken that first step, even though it ended up being a misstep.
0: Well, knowing you the way that I do, I think one of the strengths you have is really getting plugged into communities and getting to know people. And then um, regardless of whether it's land or or something else, and that's something you intentionally do, which I really admire. And you invest into things like that. You know, you've done week-long trips with private chefs in order to get people to get to know people. You've done conferences, many different kinds of conferences, which all of these are opportunities to learn and connect. And uh, I'm curious to know in, in this journey you've been on like it, how does that strategy evolved? Like you're just like, you know what this sounds kind of fun. I'll go and then you loved it or was it like, you know what? This is an intentional strategy of me to meet people with money or to just, I don't know, to, to explain explain that for us. I think that'd be interesting for folks to know because you're very, very into that, that a lot of people I think could learn from.
1: Yeah, I, I, I firmly believe that networking is one of my highest ROI activities. <laughs> so I think that it's difficult sometimes when you're new in a space, um, whether it's like real estate in general or like a specific niche of real estate to know where to begin. Right, you're like, who can I trust? Like, what's a good operator look like? How do I make sure I'm getting good education or we're spending time in the right communities? And um, you know, as time goes on, you know, we just take some of our life experience and like begin to develop a sort of sixth sense for like spotting those early. But before that really comes along, if you're really early in your journey, it's kind of a little bit of trial and error. You're like, okay, how can I make like a low risk op- investment here? Maybe some time, but maybe not a little bit of money, or maybe a little bit of money not all the time. You know, like balance it out. Where you're like, how do I? dip my toe in somewhere and try. And, uh, and that has resulted in me, you know, having serendipitous conversations where like they were, their major pivots in my life came out of those, you know, opportunity, those conversations. And sometimes it's involved me paying tens of thousands of dollars to learn that that's not really what I wanted to do. (laughs) So, you know, so it was, it's not always like the, a, a perfect return, but overall I have made significantly more money because and and found things to be significantly easier because I was willing to get involved in these communities. And that whether that's finding a good operator to, to connect with, or a good educator to like get a little bit of information for finding even if it's the right books, you know, that'll kind of start you on that right path, or finding the right Facebook groups or other communities to really to involve myself in. And I find that if you are willing to get into those communities and maybe start by consuming a little and seeing if it, it feels right, if it feels like a good fit personality wise, and you've got like a good trust there. And, and a lot of times with that stuff, it's, I, I say, go with your gut. Like if your gut kind of feels like, uh, oh, I'm not sure about this. That may not be the right place for you. Maybe it's the right place for somebody else, but it's not a good fit for you. So find some place where you can pretty consistently think, wow, this is great. Like these are my people, (laughs) you know, because there's almost always a community that will align with you on a personal level and with your objectives on a business level. And so if you find that community, then you can really lean in, you can get involved and it. it really makes, you can really move the needle if you're just willing to put a moderate amount of effort into a community, because most people are just consumers. They're not willing to put almost anything in. So if you intentionally put in, start to pour into that community, especially if you go like oh, above and beyond pouring into that community, it will pour back. Like I've never, I've never had an event or an initiative like that, that I didn't think I for sure got my value out of this. Most of the time it's, I get multiples, tens of multiples back, but every once in a while I'll get a one X, you know, but I don't think I've ever had a situation where I thought, yeah, I just didn't get what I wanted out of that. or I didn't get something tangible back out of that relationship.
0: Love it. And so let's talk about the communities real quick, because you've been involved in a lot of different real estate. You've been involved in financial independence, retire early, fire type communities. Like, How would you compare like a fire community, for example, versus the land investing community versus like commercial real estate that you were in? How, how would you describe each of those things?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I would say for the fire communities I like to get involved in, I find that my initiative, like my focus, I should say, when I get involved in those communities, whether it's um, a Facebook forum, some kind of group there, or it's attending a live event, uh, weekend retreat, something like that, those groups, for me, I'm trying to hang out with people who like understand the world and have accomplished things, but their objective is not to take over the world, right? Their objective is to know that they can take over the world, but realize that maybe they don't want to. <laughs> maybe that's okay, right? Yeah, like, yeah. we can get These are the group of people who can get stuff done. That's how they got there. But they also know that getting stuff done isn't the end-all be-all, so they don't have to be consumed by it. So I like to hang out with that group because that helps me like kind of step back and take a, a bigger picture of my life holistically, not just business-wise, but personal, these other avenues, right? And say, okay, what's what's really important, right? Am I really spending my time in the right place? And so I, that's what I really look for in those communities. And when I go to my like business communities, more like land or other kind of niche forms of real estate, I want to hang out with people who are... Are taking over the world and like are obsessed with it. <laughs> they like, they wanna take it over and everything is at their feet and they're gonna make it happen, right? I need to hang out with those people to get that motivation to be like, yes, I can go do all of it and I'm gonna get it done tomorrow, you know, like it's gonna happen. So those people help me keep, keep me motivated, you know, keep me pushing forward and to show me what's possible, right? So I need a little bit of every, both in my life to stay balanced. Cause if I hang out with all one or all the other, like I, I feel kind of off kilter. Um, I'm not getting like uh, the, the holistic approach I need. And uh, commercial space, um, it kind of fits along with the business side where um, it's more, I've found it more difficult to find the best kind of educators and operators in that space. I'm not exactly sure why that is, to be honest. I think that it has to do with the asset class and the general investor type that prefers there. But uh, it's been difficult to find the right space there. And I, I suspect that's part of what led me in the very beginning to... To, to make those missteps is that I couldn't find the community I needed to give me the education or the direction I was looking for. It was very difficult to find anybody who would give me the time of day to get started. And so now, further along in my journey, I'm confident I could go back and, and do it better. But then it was, it was the beginning and I didn't know what I was looking
0: for. Well, I think part of it too, I mean, there's smaller commercial properties, but so many are bigger, right? So you're dealing with institutional money and REITs and Pension funds and big money that they're they're not putting together courses and uh, you might get that in self storage where there's plenty of people that have masterminds and stuff like that which is a niche of of the commercial space but not like how to flip office buildings that's that's not, that's not a course <laughs> not that a C B Richard Ellis wants to teach you so you know it's it's fascinating so I think one of the things people can take away from you here is getting plugged in and. As a busy doctor, I think there's no better way for physicians that are listening to this to be able to find deals and find partnerships is doing what you're doing of going to events, spending time doing that, but not necessarily like operating a business. Curious curious to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, 100 percent. The physicians I have in my life who I kind of talk on this level to, like that's my recommendation to them most of the time is the same. I say, look, you need to find, especially if they're looking for syndications, I'm like, you need to educate yourself on what a good syndication looks like and then how to find and pick good operators. And then you need to invest with those people. Right. Because putting your own time into something can make sense in a very limited fashion, a very strategic fashion but most of the time if you if you step back you will be best served by finding good partners or operators to work with than you will be trying to do it all yourself i mean i get the diy thing I, and frankly i love it at certain levels but it trying to build if the intention is to build a business that way then that's not that would not be my recommendation a repeatable like consistent way to grow your wealth is not going to be pouring your own time because the exchange just isn't there at the beginning. The exchange really begins to scale up to the levels where you exceed what you would expect to make as a physician at scale. Like you have to be running like a proper size business to do that. And it's very difficult to run a proper size business and run a full-time job, like especially like a physician in parallel. Not that it can't be done, but it is sacrifices will have to be made and it may not
0: be sacrifices you really want to make in the long term. So what what I believe and please, you know, correct me if you think I'm like way off kilter here. I hate syndications. And the reason being because it's like a black box. You don't know what someone is really doing behind the scenes. Are they really investing all that money in a thing are they, how much in management fees are they charging? You know, all of these things that can really, and I'm sure there's great syndicators out there. Don't get me wrong. It's just from my perspective, having seen people go through it, in my opinion, there's more bad eggs than there are good eggs in, in that space. Because it's all about about them trying to find more people to raise more money and they're not really, and then you have someone else that's an operator that's doing it. So you have all these people taking cuts of someone else's money. I would rather people do stuff um, like maybe they just do a limited amount of stuff, for example, in land, if that's something that they like, or they buy a surgery center that they often operate at. Or, you know, they, they do stuff that's kind of in their control or like in the land space. You could deal fund and not take a lot of time to do that or provide hard money lending or something that's not like a high time task. But if you if you're doing well enough, you could start cutting out some of your clinical time. Right. If you're doing five days a week right now, well, maybe you can make it four and then three and then two and then one, you know, as you're finding the time to do that. But it is a sacrifice, no doubt, to have to spend time in doing this stuff. That's, that's my take on it.
1: Yeah, I think the risks you described for um, syndications are legitimate. Those are risks with syndications. But the simple reality is that passivity requires giving up control in almost every instance. So if you want tr- true passivity, you have to give it up. Like there's just no way you can't control it and be passive. So the only way to make that work is to bet on the right horse. So choosing syndicators, which is why I was really emphasizing the operator, like choosing choosing syndications is 25% asset class and 75% operator. Like you want to be in an asset class you think is a good long-term bet because those are multi-year bets almost always. But the, your job is to choose the right syndicator, not to choose the right asset, because you have no idea how they're going to manage that asset. You can only bet on that operator doing the right thing. You, you may like the plan. You may like the asset class. You may like all those things, but that is only a small portion of choosing the right syndication. The majority, in my opinion, is about choosing the right syndicator, right? And there are some really good books out there on like vetting syndicators. I'd point to Bigger Pockets; They've got some good publications over there about choosing syndicators, but you... You really have to do your job on that. In fact, before I invest with a syndicator, I usually spend multiple years tracking their behavior, right? And so I will start following a syndicator I think is promising, but I will not invest with them for the first two years typically before I will work with them because I want to see what a multi-year track record looks like for them. I, you know, Beating them and investing with them the next month is like, I don't know anything about that. Like Unless I've got personal recommendations and a long history I can bet on, then I am almost always going to say, all right, I like you. I like who you put out. I like the story you're telling and how it's being told. And I like the investments you're making. Now let's, I'm going to get on your list. I'm going to follow what you're saying and see what you're doing for a couple of years before I'm ready to start putting any serious money with you. Maybe I make a small investment at the beginning just to get into the game, but I'm not going to give any serious money until I take the time to understand them and make sure that what they're saying is what they're actually doing.
0: Have you actually invested in syndication? we've never talked about this before
1: very limited, very limited. (laughs) So, because I, but you have some. Yeah. So, so the idea for me, frankly, right now, all of my money is going to my land business. I'm hyper-focused there. Right. But I have been tracking syndicators that I intend to invest with in the next couple of years for a few years already. Right. These are people that like I have learned to trust and I found ways through my networking to get closer and closer connected to them so that I can talk to like, like, one degree of separation connections, right? So it's like, I've built relationships maybe either with that syndicator or with people who know that syndicator extremely well. And I can lean on those people for advice. And that's just because I live in this space. But even if I didn't, I would be doing the exact same thing I said, which is follow them and then say, when they say a deal, they're doing a deal. And then you follow that deal and the results of that deal for a few years, you can see whether or not they performed like they said they were going to. Right. Did they do the things, even if the deal didn't go as well as they were anticipating, did they actually execute on the plan that they sold you on? Right. Two, three years ago. right? if you can see them consistently do that, that's where that's where you can really start to be confident that they're going to be a worthwhile operator to work in. And there's no it's an investment. There's always risk. Right. But that pattern is one that I've seen spoken to or, or mimicked from. Really like family offices. Like that's the approach that I often see them take. Is like they're not going to meet a guy and give him money tomorrow. They're going to meet a guy, start a relationship, and then like either dip their toe very small or or slowly build that trust over time. And then in the long run, it could be very good relationship. But they they don't bet on new, unproven, unknown operators just because the deal looks good. I don't care if the deal looks good. Deals look good all day on paper. I want to know that has that operator killed it before, and are they going to kill it on the investment that I'm going to make with them today?
0: And now for a quick commercial break. Everyone has a story. Different needs, wants, and goals, and how to attain them. Your story determines your solution. Whatever your situation, your story, locum tenums should be part of the conversation. How do you find out if locums can be a good option for you? Well, start your research, my friends, by visiting an online, unbiased educational resource like locumstory.com. Now is the perfect time to explore Locum's opportunities and see how it may fit into your career. The variety of options might even surprise you. At locumstory.com, you can find first-hand stories about the different reasons why physicians choose Locum's and the ins and outs of how Locum Tenants works. Get a comprehensive review of Locum's and decide if it's right for you at locumstory.com. And now back to the show. The other thing I would caution people to, and I see this as a problem in this space, which there's a lot of benefits to it. like you talk about it's. It is truly passive when you're handing your money off to somebody else. And there's nothing nothing wrong with that if you can find a great operator. But I would also question too like if you if you like let's say land, right? We buy something for 10,000, we sell it for 30,000. Well, if you're buying something now for a million dollars to sell it for two million, that's a totally different skill set. So syndicators may have had success at smaller numbers, but now they're raising more capital. It's a much different kind of an asset that they're buying. So I would just caution people: if someone's had success, that's awesome, but are they still doing the stuff that got them to be successful? Are they now in a whole new ball game? that they have 100x, 1000x the money that they did before, like Warren Buffett can't just go out buying, you know, small cap stocks, right? He needs, he has billions of dollars to deploy. So to move the needle in anything, you know, he's buying five or 10% of a huge, you know, mega cap type company. So that I see that same thing on a smaller scale with, with uh, what do you, what do you see on that end? You know, in terms of, you have someone with track record, but now they're scaling up, like, how do you, overcome that.
1: Yeah, I think you're totally right. I think that uh, thinking that success in one arena on hundred percent translates to the next arena is a misnomer, but it's not, it's just not accurate. You have to understand that when they have been successful, if they can show you that they've done this exact thing, exact thing, 20 times successfully, and now they just want to do an identical copy of it 100 times and they need your money to do that. That's one conversation. Totally different if they said, I've succeeded in this arena over here, and I'm going to this other arena that's kind of similar, but not exactly the same, but I think I can do it too. Like, well, that's <laughs> not, it's a different conversation, right? You're right. Some of those skills may be transferable, and, and maybe I like you. I think you you could figure it out. But am I willing to bet that this new venture is going to be funded by me, and that my money is going to help them learn the game. Like, ah, I'm not. I'm not so confident. I don't think I'm going to make that bet unless it seems to be like pretty, pretty awesome return. This is what angel investing effectively is, right? Angel investing's like I can make zero dollars or I can make a hundred x, but that's angel investing. You just don't. You're, you're making. You're betting on these like completely unknown outcomes with massive upsides. So,
0: absolutely. Well, let's let's um shift it a little bit because I know you're like me in that we have both real assets, land in particular in our case, as a big part of our portfolio, as well as paper assets, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, stuff like that. There's a lot of people that are in the real asset space that just talk trash all day about paper assets. And you're you're we have a really good friend in common who got doesn't like all the that paper asset stuff, but got Cash value life insurance, and we were like, "No, don't do it. It's the worst decision ever." Relative to other stuff, so like, uh, I'm not going to put his name out there on blast, but we, you know, who I'm talking about, you know, like how how do you weigh like paper assets versus real estate, you know, hard asset type stuff as you think about your portfolio? Why do you choose to have paper assets still?
1: Yeah, I I mean, I, I, yeah, like you said, I, I started having paper assets, and now a lot of my net worth is moving to land, so real assets, right? And I love them both, but I always will keep a portion in paper assets. Kind of two big reasons: one, like passivity, like they're just so simple. Like (laughs) I implement a dead simple indexing, you know, policy there, so. It's not complicated it doesn't take a lot of time i have to have to do anything with it you know and it's just kind of steady consistent long-term returns I'm, that's what i'm looking for and then two it provides a, f- a form of like pseudo liquidity that i can't get anywhere in real assets real assets are great but unless you're gonna like sell it for pennies on the dollar you're not liquidating that thing in short term it's not happening so i need assets that i don't want to just sit in cash That I can have a nice long run with, right? And in an emergency style situation, I can liquidate if necessary. Right. I love that flexibility there, not that I intend to, but it exists. Right. So I, I a lot of times my retirement vehicles are all paper assets, the majority of them. Right. So because I love being able to kind of put those, put them into those buckets and say, okay, here's simple assets I can focus all my time and effort into land and allow this strategy to execute itself, right? And just let it keep running. So yeah, I'm, I'm really simple on that side, but I do enjoy having a mix.
0: Mm. And do you plan on, it sounds like you. it's a smaller portion now on a go forward basis, you were just saying of kind of like, you're going to focus more on on the real assets, the hard assets versus the paper assets. Did I capture that right? Is that what you said? Totally.
1: Yeah. I'm of the opinion that in order to really execute something super well at a high level, you need to be hyper-focused. Like if you put all of your time, energy, and efforts into something, that is what will succeed or potentially fail. It's it's a higher risk scenario, right? But if I, with the objectives I have for myself on the business front, I need to be all in, right? So I've, pushed other focuses out of my life to just stay super focused on this. And that means that any paper assets I'm investing on the side have to be completely passive, right? They have to be uh, kind of no effort required investments where I can just bank on them and say, I'll check back in five years and see how we're doing, 10 years and see how we're doing, you know, I'd like long-term, no, no worries, let it ride.
0: And how do you think about 401ks or cash balance plans, you know, those kinds of things? Is that because some some people are very much against it because they don't want their money to be tied up. They want to be able to have non-qualified monies that they could tap for any time, any reason. How do you think about that?
1: Yeah, in my opinion, qualified monies can be tapped at any time for any reason it's simply a matter of co- cost right so like pay 10% get your money back done <laughs> so uh, i think that that mental barrier that people have between their retirement money and accessibility are is healthy in that it creates friction that so you don't people don't just run to it and raid their retirement we don't want that right that's just why that friction exists however it is not a hard limit like you can absolutely take that money it's just going to cost you so if you absolutely had to, you could take it, right? It's not that it doesn't exist. So I like having that option on the table. And that's simply an option that does not exist with hard assets. Um, and so I, I like having that flexibility. And then I, I will continue to strategically invest in those scenarios, like, you know, whether it's like run up by HSA or put money into the Roth or whatever it is. I recently converted like a traditional 401k to a Roth 401k, like- Did you really? I did, yeah. I, Why? I would ask, well- it had to do with income brackets.
0: <laughs> so you're not you're not in a small income bracket as it is right now, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, I had a I had a year last year where it was the income was supposed to be lower than normal due to some like front loading of expenses and so I was going to fill up the rest of my income bracket with that conversion.
0: Got so, it. Got it. Got it. So your your income was a little was a little lower you were projecting at that time.
1: Correct. Then it was going to be in subsequent the next year or subsequent years. So it made a lot more sense to just convert it right then. And pay what will be long term a lower rate.
0: Do you think rates are going to be moving up long term? Like, so you're thinking convert at a lower rate now before rates start moving up overall? You know, in the grand scheme of things.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's always risk that the I don't I don't personally see the income brackets I'm working in getting smaller anytime soon. I only see them staying the same or going up. So, but but even if they don't go up. Personally, my income continues to climb year over year. And so there's just no realistic scenario in the short to medium term that involves me having it paying at a lower rate than I paid just right now.
0: And I think something we often talk about in land space is how inefficient tax-wise land is, both because of use of capital, as well as just it's not a long-term capital gain. Everything's taxed as income. There's no depreciation. You know, it's the major downside for this this space where we get so many wonderful things from. Uh, how how are you thinking about that? How are you planning on, if at all, you know, trying to change that?
1: Yeah, my all-up strategy for taxes is to not let the tax tail wag the dog. So I I my major focus is making sure that the business is profitable and like operationally run well. And secondarily that we make smart tax decisions. And I, I don't put that in the reverse order. Like I, I'm not worried if I have to make, if I have to pay more taxes that it's because I made more money. <laughs> like, that's the point. Right. And so I simply do what I can to mitigate that in a reasonable way without going overboard and, and impacting the
0: operations or, or consistency of the business. Got it. And that's, that's where some of the capital decisions, right? Of what do you want to put back into the business versus putting away two hundred dollars or $300,000 in a cash balance plan, right? Well, now the money's tied up. You can't use that for the business now at this point. What about with the opportunity? You know, there's more... When you and I started in this thing five, six years ago, it, it was a different time than, than it is now. We've gone through COVID that... That uh, was amazing, and you know, it's like you could buy, you know, something that had no access and sucked, and people would snatch it up in a hot minute. Uh, to where, to where today prices are still elevated, but overall, for many of us, demand has slowed down. Some where stuff is still selling, just not up the nowhere near the same pace that it was, and maybe even prices have started to lower a little bit. What's what's your take on it? What do you make of the opportunity in land today? What would you say about that?
1: You know, I think that sometimes people get a bit too antsy sitting on cash. Like I know some investors, particularly who they, you know, start to get nervous if they have too much cash build up. They're like, oh, no, I got, I have to buy something. And you're like, whoa, hold the phone. (laughs) You don't have to buy anything. The smart move may be buy nothing right now. Right. Because in my opinion, the, like when the market starts to shift, um, especially if it looks like it may shift negatively, then you want to only be making the smartest bets, right? The most stable bets, right? So for us in a business perspective, we are only looking at like the most quality assets, right? We we only buy assets that are like okay or like questionable if we are getting a screaming deal and the, the value is in how cheap it is. Like it's just so cheap that we can sell it at a good return because it's just so cheap relative to the rest of the market, right? Otherwise we are only going into assets at our usual like acquisition rates. If we're like, yes, it's got all of the attributes to tell me this will be a stable deal, right? It's a good long-term bet. Even if I have to sit on this for two years, three years, something stupid, I know that it's a good asset and I will find someone who sees the value because it's that consistent. There's a good market because for any asset, especially any kind of real asset or really almost any asset in general, there is always, a price to sell it at. There is always a buyer. The only question you're asking is what, how big is that buyer pool, right? Like how many people want this asset, and at what price? Because if someone's going to give me ten million dollars to buy their property, I'll probably take it in most instances, <laughs> right? So that's a price that's acceptable, right? So there's always a price. The question is, can you get the price you're looking for, and does it have the attributes to attract a large enough pool to do it in a reasonable time? Because if you're willing to wait a hundred years, somebody will probably buy it at the price you want. Right. But if you don't want to wait 100 years, you got to make sure that it's the kind of asset that is uh, highly desirable and commands the price that you expect.
0: Mm-hmm. No, good, good, good stuff. For, for physicians that have never done this before, they might be hearing some of this and like, ah, oh, this sounds kind of interesting. If knowing what you know, what would be your first step if you were interested in land in particular? What would you do?
1: As uh, So I actually, my brother is a physician. And so we have this conversation on the regular. And uh, when I talk to him about land, I typically, our conversation is around both risk reward and required effort, right? Because we're always weighing this when we have these conversations like, well, you could spend a lot of time to make this slightly more lucrative investment or... (laughs) you could make a more streamlined version and spend that time, you know, like getting better returns as a doctor. So I think it really comes down to understanding like for physicians and really anyone, what is your objective, right? Like, what do you want? Or do you want something that's completely passive? Is that your number one is passivity? Okay, then you're looking for a certain type of investment. If your number one is returns, Uh, and passivity is farther down the list, But then that's a totally different type of investment, right? So you need to understand what your order of importance is, whether it's like passivity or returns. And and a lot of times people will say, I want all the things. And like, that's just not, there is not, there's not three number ones. That's not a thing. So you have to decide like, what is the order of importance? Because understanding the order of importance for an investment will clearly dictate to you which things are in and which things are out. If number one is passivity, then you say, okay, I'm not going to take a negative return just for passivity." but I know that like my first filter is passivity. So if it's not passive enough, doesn't really matter what it is, it's out, right? Next filter is return, doesn't meet my return criteria. So you can go down your list, one, two, three, whatever, and let things filter through. And then what makes it all the way through the filters, that's where you can spend your time on, right? It makes it easy to look through opportunities by taking it through those filters layer by layer in the order of importance for you And and finally getting to the bottom that we don't have to spend a lot of time on a ton of investments that really actually don't meet what you want, because you just haven't taken the time to fully define that for yourself.
0: Love it. No, good stuff. Well, your brother being a doctor, you know, what what are you hearing from him in terms of physicians and money and things people listening to this podcast should be thinking about from your perspective as, as an investor and a guy that's really read up and been around a lot of people in this space?
1: He is on his last year of residency right now. And so he we're having uh, kind of active conversations that kind of straddle both of his worlds where he's going from making ends meet as a resident, you know, to the cash cow that will be post residency, right? And so he's really starting to look at how he wants to live, kind of transitioning out of these years and moving on to this more lucrative portion of his life. We talk a lot about kind of the things we're just talking about, what what do you want, right? And and as he's been able to answer those questions better, he's been able to see, like, does he want to, you know, we talk a lot about land because I'm having something to land, right? So we're like, do you want to run your own land business? And he has dabbled in that. He's done a few land flips. And I don't think he does. And I I think he's come around to realize he doesn't really want to. Like, does he want to run his entire business, you know, an entire side business uh, when he could just be doing blowjobs or something, you know, like is that that the smarter play here? So um, he he has realized that that's you know he's taken that order I just talked about this this filter and realized that if my number one is X, then maybe that opportunity doesn't make it through the filter, right? And um, that has created the space for him to really evaluate things. And he likes syndications. But again, the, the trouble we talked about, operators, right? How do you find right operators? So he's having to invest there. So we're talking about where he wants to invest his time and where he wants, to, particularly in education, right? You, you got to educate yourself and education costs. It costs time, it costs money, it costs something, right? So he's like, where do you want to educate? Right? You spend all these years being educated as a doctor, right? Like that was like a freaking huge investment in time and money. Like, and it's got a certain return on it. Now you're doing the same thing again, but at a smaller scale. Where do you want to invest, right? Where do you want to invest for this education? Is it is it you want to pay for courses? Great, let's find you some good courses. You want to pay in time because you want to attend events and be on these groups and whatever? You can do that too. Maybe it's a combination of both, you know? So finding the right you know, organizing that order of priorities and then moving to the next step saying, okay, what kind of opportunities meet these general criteria for me? And then where do I want to get educated in that space so that I can make, start making smart investments there? That's, I think that's the right way to go about it. It's the the highest like efficiency for your return, right? Oftentimes new investors don't know what they want and not only they don't know what kind of investment they want they just don't even know what they want right so like i was saying the first step understanding what you want out of your investments will make it so that you say wow flipping my own short term rentals probably isn't it like <laughs> it's going to be too intensive for me or it just doesn't meet like my filter says short term rentals don't make it i probably don't want to you know flip storage units that's probably not it either you know or i thought about You know, getting involved in single family house flips, that's probably not much, you you know, so it will help them eliminate it because really the fastest way to find the right investment for you is to just quickly eliminate options because there are like a plethora of options, right? So you're like, no, 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 no. Say no a million times, whatever's left, like whatever comes to you after that, then you see, okay, these is what made it through. And then you can really spend your time to determine which of those will be where you want to spend uh, your focus.
0: Love it. Love it! Great advice, great mentorship. I think um, my main takeaway is just for people to think about is get plugged into the right communities. Right? You might have to try a few before you figure out kind of where you fit. I'd say myself having had the opportunity to meet you and other people like you, I would call the land space. A lot of us are kind of nerdy. You know, we we are into spreadsheets and Star Wars and Maybe manga and, and anime <laughs> stuff, you know, there's, there's um, a lot of us that, that are professionals, you know, a lot of white collar people, for example. But to me, like someone that is in, is more outgoing, I mean, there's outgoing people that are inland, but more of us are introverted than extroverted. You know, this uh, extroverted community might be more the syndicator world, for example, you know. You have a lot of people there. So there, there's a personality aspect, I think, to, to finding the right community and the right fit. And I feel lucky and blessed to have met you and spent time with you along with a dozen of other of our friends. You know, it's been great for me personally and professionally. And I'm so grateful for you, my friend.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you as well.
0: Well, any final thoughts you want to leave with us?
1: I think that, like you said, community is key. Find the right community will drive you to the best possible outcome. So that's probably one of the best investments you can make.
0: That's good. If people want to reach out, say, hey, get to know more about you or whatever, they have questions about land and what it's like, where can they find you?
1: Yeah, they can learn a little bit more about um, my company over at olmstead.properties. That's the URL. And see a little bit about us, kind of our history. And then if you want to, you can reach out and
0: contact us there. Sweet. Love it. Appreciate you, sir. Thank you much. All right, my friends, that wraps up another episode today of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. Remember to slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live the liberate lifestyle. Well, thank you, my friends, so much for listening to the last podcast. I am pleased to announce that I am now a completely independent financial advisor where to the point now I can really integrate my financial planning practice with this podcast. If you might be looking for help, if you have found any of our information here interesting or relevant and you're looking for a second opinion. for some lovely legal disclosures required by our lawyer friends. Investment advice is only offered in jurisdictions where Centurion Financial Strategies LLC. Centurion is appropriately registered or exempt from registration. Our Form ADV Part 2 brochure can be obtained free of charge at advisorinfo.sec.gov by searching for our firm name or its unique CRD number, which is 316- this podcast is not a solicitation to provide advisory services in any jurisdiction which we're not a registered in this The information, statements, and opinions contained in this podcast have been obtained from or are based on information obtained from sources which we believe to be reliable. But we do not warrant or guarantee the timeliness or accuracy of such information. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as personalized investment, tax, or legal advice. Opinions expressed by any guest are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the firm's views. You should carefully consider your own financial circumstances and needs prior to making any investment in securities or purchasing any insurance products. As always, past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing in securities or really anything else involves the risk of loss. If by some chance in this particular podcast I mention insurance products, insurance products are backed by the financial strength and claims paying ability of an issuing insurance company. They may be subject to restrictions, limitations, and early withdrawal fees which vary by issue You should always consider the charges, risks, expenses, and investment objective of any insurance products before entering a contract. And that, my friends, wraps it up. Wish you all the best. Feel free to contact us with any info at www.DavidDeniston.com. Thank you so much and have a good one. Bye-bye.